If you will, please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and as you're turning there, just a couple of things I want to mention. One, if you are visiting or interested in knowing more about the church or joining the church or anything like that, I'd love for you to join me for a uh, new members class. Uh, you don't have to join. We don't force you into joining the church when you come there, but it's a great chance for you to uh, get to know more about our church. And so we're going to be meeting on the first floor. Uh, it's in a really kind of hidden room <laughs> downstairs. So just keep walking the circle and you'll find us. <laughs> so uh, room 103, I'd love, love to see you there. Even if you hadn't signed up, come on. Uh, we, are, we have two more sermons left uh, in our fall sermon series in Philippians. So today and, and next week, and then we'll be moving into the, the Advent season as we anticipate the great wonder and joy of Christmas. And that will be the Advent sermon series, the wonder of Christmas, as we see throughout the scriptures this, this promise that was prophesied, that, that came to fruition, and, and the wonder and awe that it brought God's people. So looking forward to that, it seems strange to be talking about that right now, that we're almost there, but looking forward to that season. Our passage of study this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, as we get to the final section here in the letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul. Although this is a letter written by human hands, we believe that God carried along these human authors by the Holy Spirit as they wrote down His Word, His will. This is God's Word to us this morning. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for these words, these great words of encouragement and hope that have meant so much to so many for so long. Lord, we see here there is profound and deep, meaningful truth for us and for the Christian life. And so, Lord, would you teach us these things by your Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Perhaps one of the most, if not the most famous verses in all the Bible. And yet, it could also be one of the most misapplied verses in all of Scripture. You might think of an athlete who's used this Bible verse to strengthen him to achieve a goal. Or a verse that might be used for positive self-talk to motivate people to to overcome some obstacle or hurdle in life. But this morning, I want us to understand that this verse is kind of more than a spiritual rabbit's foot that we kind of rub to, to, to get good luck or God's favor or something like that. Uh, it's, it, this is more than a cool tattoo that we might put on us if, if you're into that kind of thing. This verse as of all scripture, has a context. It has 
meaning it was written for a purpose by the Apostle Paul to this local church. And again, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words, this important truth. So this truth has a context for us. It's more than just a mantra that we might repeat for self-motivation. Rather, the truth of this verse, it's actually pointing us away from ourselves. It's pointing us away from our circumstances. It's pointing us to someone who can and will give us strength. And so the context of this passage, of this verse, will show us that there's a, a deep, spiritual and emotional connection that this congregation, this local church in Philippi has with their pastor, the Apostle Paul, their missionary who came to them, who preached the gospel to them. And we'll see in this, we see in this passage begins with Paul's joy and excitement over this local church being concerned for him. And in their concern, Paul, as he always does, he wanted to teach them another gospel lesson, another important truth for the Christian life. He wanted to teach them from his own experiences the secret of contentment. That is what this passage is about, contentment. What is contentment? Well, contentment is not being complacent. It doesn't mean to just stand there and do nothing, no matter what your circumstances are. Nor was Paul trying to teach these Philippians some false sense of peace. Again, like we'd said a few weeks ago, he was not teaching, don't worry, be happy. He, he, he's, he's not teaching them to just, hey, don't worry about your circumstances, just be content. Well, contentment is a state of happiness. Contentment is being satisfied in who you are and where God has you no matter what your circumstances might be. But Paul wanted us to see that experiences don't necessarily dictate our contentment. Paul learned from experience what it means to be content, often through very tough circumstances. And so this morning, I ask you, we must all ask ourselves, are you content? Are you experiencing contentment? Is your life marked by one of contentment or discontentment? How are you you trying to find contentment in life? Where are you seeking satisfaction? Are you trying to find contentment in things or in other places that the Bible says you will not find it? What is the source of your contentment? We live in a day and age of of widespread discontentment. And this is found profoundly in this very material world you live in. You can turn on the TV today and see where you need the latest computer or the latest phone or the latest car. You know, your, your data speeds are too slow. Your, the pixels on your screen are not enough. Your, your car is not working right. Your, your income is too low. Have you thought about buying a new house? What about your grades? You want to get your grades up? Do you have all the latest and greatest toys? What about your clothes? It's on and on and on, right? We're just being fed this lie that you don't need to be content with where you are. And so Paul here is a very, addressing a very practical matter in the Christian life for us, is he not? 
Do you know the secret of contentment? What a perfect message this is for us this holiday season, especially as we're not going to skip Christmas this year. I mean, skip Thanksgiving this year, okay? We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And what better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than being thankful and grateful for the immeasurable riches that we have in Christ Jesus, not in our stuff and not necessarily in our circumstances. God has supplied all of our needs in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so from this passage, we'll see the secret of contentment is threefold, Paul says. It's these three things. First, it's being grateful. Second, having a right view of circumstances. And thirdly, focusing on Jesus. It's the three things about contentment that we will look at this morning. Being grateful, having a right view of circumstances, and focusing on Jesus. So the first there is found in verse 10. The first component to contentment is being grateful. Are you grateful? Are you satisfied with where you are in life? Again, we see Paul expressing great joy, being grateful. And the source of his joy in this passage were that the Philippians were concerned for him. They were worried about their pastor. They wanted to see if, if he had any need that they could meet. And it must have been a, a great source of joy for the Apostle Paul to know that this church in Philippi that was growing in the gospel and seeking to, to grow in Jesus Christ and to know him more and more, that they had grown to the point where they were concerned about the one who had taught them about Jesus. What a testimony to God's faithfulness that these folks had grown to the point in their walk with Christ that they were practicing their faith practically by showing concern for the one who taught them to love God and love their neighbor. For us as parents, it's always encouraging when we've taught our children to, to do something and to actually see it displayed. It brings us great joy and encouragement. It was the same for the Apostle Paul. Maybe he had thought they'd forgotten about him. Maybe he wasn't sure how the gospel was bearing fruit in Philippi. And then all of a sudden he gets word, how are you doing? Can we, can we bring you anything? He was grateful. Next week we're going to explore more of this awesome missional partnership that Paul and the Philippian church had and how it bore fruit. But here Paul was grateful. Pray, grateful that God had laid on the heart of this church to be concerned for him and wanted to meet his needs. How easy it would have been for Paul to say, what took you so long? Didn't you, didn't you hear that I was in jail? <laughs> of course I have needs. But no, he was grateful and he rejoiced. And what a lesson for us. Are we finding reasons to rejoice and be grateful for what we have and what God has done for us? Are we, are we grateful for the friends that we do have or do we find ourselves discontent with the friends that we don't have? Are, are we grateful for the provisions that God has given to us? A, a home, a job, a car that actually cranked this morning. Are we in a constant state of complaining about these things? Children, are you constantly looking for the, the next toy or, or gadget that you think will bring you happiness and satisfaction only to find a, a friend or a sibling has something better that you want? 
Often the source of our discontentment is our ingratitude. We stop, we stop to pause for a moment and be thankful for what we do have and what God has done for us. Again, I didn't even realize until I started preparing for this sermon, it was the perfect Thanksgiving sermon, <laughs> that we would all stop and pause this week and be thankful for who God is and what he has done for us and how he has provided. Because this is a much better thing to do than complaining about what we don't have. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul says in Romans 8, 32. God has provided our ultimate need in sending his one and only son. How will he not also provide all our other needs? And we can be grateful. This is the secret of contentment. Being grateful to God for what you do have and what he has done for us. The second part of contentment that the Apostle Paul explains here in verses 11 through 12, is having a right view of life's circumstances. A right view of life's circumstances. We are not to let our circumstances dictate our joy. We are not to let our circumstances dictate our joy. And the truth is, this is easier said than done, right? We all can go through hard and difficult times and get depressed and get frustrated and get angry and and be caught up in the moment. As a pastor, I want to assure you that the first thing, it's not the first thing that comes out of my mouth when somebody tells me that they have cancer, don't worry about your circumstances. That would not be a very good thing to do, right? That would not be a very encouragement. But the truth is, we all let our circumstances in the here and now dictate our outlook on life. We let our circumstances often drive our contentment or discontentment. Think about it. You might be freezing cold here in the worship service. And if you are, find a deacon, don't tell me. (laughs) But we can let that just drive our, our entire experience this morning, right? Whether we're cold or whether we're hot. If you have a ton of things to do this afternoon to get ready for a busy holiday week. You're just going to be thinking about that all day and even this morning. If you had a family argument this morning or you're holding a grudge, it'd be easy to let that little dust up project to the entire year and say, this whole year was miserable because of an argument this morning. We all do it. We let our circumstances dictate our lives. And this is where right doctrine and good theology can be of very practical help to us because we all have to agree this morning, or we all have to think about this. Do you believe that God providentially orders all your circumstances? Do you believe that everything that happens in your life happens for a reason? Good things but even hard things, even what we might say bad things? Do you believe that in all things, all circumstances, difficult and good alike, that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose? In Paul's situation, he speaks of contentment in good times and hard times. 
He speaks of here being well-fed or hungry, whether having plenty or in want. This was the experience of the Apostle Paul's life. Think about it when he was a Pharisee in the ruling class. Life was good. He was rich. And then Jesus converted him. He went to a life of poverty and tent making and being thrown in jail several times and beaten and stoned and yelled at. He had a pretty big spectrum of circumstances in life. And so Paul's teaching this important principle of the Christian life. Both poverty and prosperity come with strings attached, don't they? Both poverty and prosperity can have spiritual snares. Think about this. In times of want, in times of poverty, we can become bitter and ungrateful about what we don't have. Or in times of bad health, we can forget about the times of good health. But on the other side of things, in good times, in times of prosperity, that's when those sins of pride and self-reliance can creep in. Can develop this God complex and believe that everything we have in life is because I did it. I heard a very wealthy man profess to me one time, I don't see how God is involved in any of this. I did all this myself, not God. We can all fall into that trap. One of my professors, John Kerr, had said, can be as hard to cope with abundance as with affliction. Abundance does not translate into contentment. Abundance is often the catalyst for discontentment. And then when we think our circumstances are good, how often do we stop and praise God for the lessons he taught us in the good times, but also the difficult times? For the Christian, life is more than just physical health, right? Life is more than money and things. Life is more than how much we have in our savings account. Life is more than the grades on our report cards. Life is more than the here and now. Yes, all these things are important. And yes, Jesus says that God our Father will provide what we need. Our relationships, our incomes, our ability to provide for ourselves. These are all important things, but they're not ultimate cannot live for these things. What is ultimate then? What is the purpose? Where is the source of contentment? And that is the third truth found in verse 13. The third truth here of finding contentment is by focusing on Jesus. Jesus. It's the answer to every Sunday school question, right? (laughs) It's the answer to all of our problems, all of our needs, is it not? Jesus. We focus on Jesus by understanding the profound doctrine that Paul has taught in all of our letters, and especially here in Philippians, that we are in Christ. And that's the, that's the, that's the summary of the entire teaching of the Apostle Paul, is understanding our union with Christ. And our union in Christ dictates everything. It applies to everything, our joy, our circumstances, our eternal destiny. Everything has to do with being in Christ. And with that in mind, 
Paul wrote that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. You do realize he wrote this truth from a position of suffering. He was in jail when he wrote this. He was not about to run a race. He was not about to fight in a battle, a physical one that is. He was probably hungry. He didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. The Roman jail did not have a state welfare system, provide them with a TV and three square meals a day. He was entirely dependent upon who had mercy and brought him something to eat. He was in need. His circumstances were not good. And from that position, from that low estate, from his depths of despair, he remembered, he recalled, he reminded himself that Christ is with him. Christ is with him no matter what, even in the hard times and in the good times. In in Greek philosophy, this word for contentment that is mentioned here in this passage is pretty interesting. It means self-sufficiency. And and self-sufficiency was lauded as a a great virtue in Greek philosophy. So it'd be easy to read this and think, okay, well, this is what's going on here. We're supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and praise God and move on. But let's be clear, that's not what Paul is teaching here. We're not called to believe in ourselves or find the strength within or just do it. No, we are to look to Christ. We are to look to Jesus We are to find our sufficiency in him. Contentment is found in being completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. Paul found strength and hope and joy and security in Christ, not in himself. Perhaps that's what we all need this morning. Perhaps we all need that simple instruction this morning. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop it. Stop living in pity. Stop looking within. Rather, start looking to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, how do we do that, Pastor? I get told that all the time. Just look at Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to to look to Christ for satisfaction and contentment? Well, let me offer a few suggestions. Are you lonely? This morning, are you lonely? Look to Jesus who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Are you suffering this morning? Do you find yourself suffering and in trials? Look to Jesus who says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Are you confused? Are you confused about some circumstance in your life right now? Look to Jesus who says, If you abide in me and in my words, abide in you, 
ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abide in Jesus. Are you discontent? Do you think, man, were, were you listening to me this week, Pastor? Were you, are you calling me out, <laughs> calling myself out? We all are discontent. Look to Jesus who says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. May God give us the strength this morning to look to Christ and believe those words that we sang from Charles Wesley's hymn this morning, Jesus, lover of my soul, thou, O Christ, are all I want, all in thee. I find. That's the secret. That's the truth of contentment. We look to Jesus and find our all in all in him. We sympathize with those great words of St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. This morning, the truth that we must hold on to, all the resources that we need are found here in God's word that to live the Christian life, we must look to Christ, Christ alone. When we know that and believe that, we'll know the truth that the Apostle Paul taught here and other places in Scripture that Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine because of his power that is at work within us. Yes, we can do all things because it's Christ in us who gives us strength and will help us to be content in any and every circumstances because of his strength. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow for the riches that are ours in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you and praise you for your word that corrects us, that teaches us, that trains us in righteousness that shows us this morning that our hearts will be restless, that we will be discontent, that we will not be satisfied if we are looking to anything but Jesus. And so, oh Lord, this morning, show us Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes upon him. Help us to praise him and and worship him and and think about him and, and pray to him and read about him and sing about him and All these things we must do to to fix our eyes on him who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand. We thank you for our perfect and wonderful and merciful Savior. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.